Welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Richard Hatchett, Senior Nurse Editor for RCNI, which publishes Nursing Standard, and I'm also a registered nurse. And today I'm joined by Samantha Holloway, who is a reader and registered nurse in the Centre for Medical Education at the College of Biomedical and Life Sciences, Cardiff University School of Medicine in Wales. That's quite a mouthful, Sam. And um, I know, I know. And Sam is also the president of the International Skin Tear Advisory Panel. So welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. And we're particularly talking today because uh, yourself and Jenny Prentice and Ray Samuriwo, I hope I've got that right, um, has written an article, they have written an article on preventing, assessing and treating skin tears. So it seems brilliant to um, uh, discuss that today. Can you just start perhaps, Sam, by explaining what a skin tear is and perhaps a little bit about their prevalence? Uh, yeah, sure. So skin tears are acute wounds and typically we would expect them to proceed to wound healing within a timely fashion. So if you think of an acute wound, the normal trajectory of healing is around two to three, um, two to three weeks. Uh, if we look at the definition of a skin tear, which also might be helpful, the International Skin Tear Advisory Panel have um, developed a definition, which is a skin tear is a traumatic wound caused by mechanical forces, including removal of adhesives. The severity may vary by depth, but importantly, the skin tear does not extend through the subcutaneous layer. And that's important to note because determining the depth is paramount to helping with the diagnosis of a skin tear, as is where the skin tear is and how it occurred. Um, You also asked about prevalence. So prevalence, um, there have been a number of studies across different healthcare settings. And what we see predominantly are skin tears occur in what we'd call long-term care, uh, nursing homes, residential homes. And there've been a number of studies that have looked at rates and anything between 4.7 to 26% prevalence. But if we then consider individuals with dementia, that prevalence rises to about 41.2%, so quite considerably. So that's in the community setting. If we look at acute care, uh, there are studies that have looked at prevalence and have estimated it to be around 6.2 to 19.5%, but that's usually excluding paediatrics, which we consider a, a particularly special population who are also at risk of skin tears. But actually, the true prevalence may not be known as skin tears are rarely reported. What we often hear is, oh, it's just a skin tear. So I'm really keen for that situation to change and would certainly be encouraging healthcare professionals to firstly report skin tears via their instant reporting procedures and secondly, collect prevalence data alongside pressure ulcer prevalence as well. And if I can just add, uh, the majority of studies looking at prevalence and incidents are from Australia, Canada and Asia. And actually, we have very limited information for the UK. So uh, the International Skin Tear Advisory Panel are trying to address that by undertaking prevalence and incident studies. So we have developed a data collection form. So this is a little bit of a plug and a plea uh, that if anyone is interested in undertaking any prevalence data collection, they could perhaps contact us um, and we'd be happy to um, share that data collection form so that we have some real, real data that we can go on for the UK, which is currently missing. 
And we can also put some contact details on um, the web page that the podcast sits on, Sam, so that that's, um, uh, will you. help as well. Yeah. Um, do we grade or classify skin tears? Oh, interesting question. Um, so I took that in two ways. Do we grade or classify them? Actually, we're very poor at doing that. But if you look at our terminology, we do classify them. So we're, we're talking about classification of skin tears. Um, so I think the situation is changing in terms of classification. If we look to 10 years ago, few healthcare professionals, if any, would probably have been classifying skin tears because at that time, there was limited implementation of any available skin tear classification system. So one of the things that the International Skin Tear Advisory Panel did was we looked at what skin tear classification systems were available. And so um, our listeners may have come across uh, the Payne Martin skin tear classification system or the STAR classification system. And so we looked at those and actually the reasons they weren't being used was because often they were quite complicated. And so what we did within the ISTAP panel was we developed and validated our own classification system. And we've now started to see an increase in that being used and adopted worldwide. And in fact, the classification system has been validated and translated into 14 different languages. And the validation study that took place a couple of years ago to examine its validity and reliability was undertaken with experts across 44 different countries. So in terms of the classification system, just so that again, the listeners get a feel for what is it, uh, the nomenclature we use is type. So if you think about pressure ulcers, we talk about grade or stage. Um, and so we wanted to make sure the terminology we use was different. And so we talk about type one, type two, and type three skin tears. And type one skin tear is a linear or flap skin tear where the flap can be repositioned to cover the wound bed. Type two is partial flap loss and type three is complete flap loss. And, and it's a little bit difficult to describe in an audio way what a flap is, but we do have a definition for a flap in terms of skin tears that again would be accessible um, via our ISTAP website if, if listeners want to have a look at that. Um, but the key thing um, in terms of classification, if I can just um, um, mention this now, is that in order to classify, you have to undertake first aid measures. So when a skin tear occurs, you have to initially control the bleeding, cleanse and then assess. And then the flap, if present, should be reapproximated and then classification can be undertaken. So that, that's the important part, that we use the classification system after that initial emergency and immediate care is undertaken. So I suppose before we get into the um, issue of, of assessing treatment options and so forth, the big question is, can we prevent them? And I'm thinking particularly of the nurse individually, but also we have to think about the system or the organisation or the environment as well, I presume. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we do like to talk about prevention being the key thing. You know, we talk about pressure ulcers being preventable, majority of pressure ulcers. And I would argue it's the same for skin tears. So in order to um, prevent skin tears, we need to determine who's at risk. And perhaps we can talk about risk factors and assessment afterwards. But that's the important thing. Well, who is at risk? 
And then in terms of prevention, one of the key aspects is moisturisation of the skin. And it's 10 years since the study was done by colleagues in Australia who looked at twice daily application of a perfume free moisturising lotion applied morning and evening, either by um, the patient themselves or the individual, the carers, the relatives. And in that long term care facility, this reduced the incidence of skin tears by 50 percent. So it's never too soon to start moisturising um, the skin to keep it um, supple and resilient because we need to maintain that skin integrity so that it's, it's less risk of damage. The other things we can think about is skin friendly cleansers. So traditionally, people were probably using bars of soap and hot water and giving their skin a good scrub. Uh, but what we need to do is use more pH friendly skin cleansers uh, that aren't as harsh, that maintain that skin acid mantle that's so important. And then another key thing about prevention is, is avoiding use of adhesive products and tape. So anything that can stick to the skin when it is fragile or vulnerable may cause trauma on removal. So some of the things we've looked at in terms of um, recommendations, particularly uh, in our best practice recommendations document that ISTAP have worked on, Think simple things like protective clothing. So the hands, arms and lower legs are a particular risk of skin tears. And so wearing clothing over those to protect them from knocking and injury is really important. And I'm not talking about, you know, expensive protective clothing. We're just talking about wearing long sleeved shirts uh, and cardigans, you know, long trousers. Um, we might joke, but maybe shin pads <laughs> to protect the shins. Um, other simple things that both the patient, relatives, individual and healthcare professionals can do and, and nurses uh, is avoiding sharp fingernails and jewellery. So I think that's fairly standard in our day to day clinical practice, but also the individual themselves and carers, you know, being careful they haven't got anything that's going to cause any injury. If we also think about how we handle the individual, um, and, you, you know, we, I suppose we're focusing a little bit on nurses today, but we can't forget our other colleagues. So, you know, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, doctors, anybody who's going to interact with a patient and potentially have to handle them needs to be thinking about avoiding any shear and friction when, when moving them, you know, helping them to sit down or stand up. Um, we know that one of the biggest risks are falls. And so if we can undertake a falls risk assessment as well, that will also help with prevention. And what's linked to falls are things like poorly fitting shoes, you know, the footwear not fitting properly, um, poor lighting. So the patient and individual can't see where they're walking, obstacles being in their way. So I'm thinking particularly of the patient's own or the individual, sorry, I keep saying patient, but individual's own home in long-term care, nursing homes, residential homes, just, you know, ha have an environmental assessment, think about what potentially could be a risk. Um, so ensuring, you know, the environment's lit uh, well, uh, free of obstacles, looking at dangers such as sharp corners of tables and cupboards. You know, um, I'm not inferring that older people are children, but when children or toddlers start to learn to walk, what do we do? We, we, pad out things, we move things, we we buy things that stick on the corners of tables and cupboards to stop people knocking themselves. So similarly to that, you know, there are simple things we can do. And then also I just want to touch on the general health measures. So 
Um, you know, education is really key. Education of the individual carer, relatives and all healthcare professionals so that everyone's actively involved in prevention. And also nutrition and hydration, absolutely key. Um, and the final thing probably to mention is polypharmacy. So where individuals may be on lots of medications that can interact and may be causing issues with skin, then, you know, we need to be talking to the pharmacists about those potential interactions and what we can do. So just to summarise that, because I know I've said a lot there, there's kind of factors around skin mobility and general health that we need to take into consideration for prevention of skin tears. So you've touched on a lot of um, sort of risk assessment there. Is there a tool, Sam, that, that people use? Because there's a lot of sort of dynamic factors going on. I presume a lot of them work together as well. But is there, is there a tool that people or nurses, colleagues tend to use to, to assess these things or the risk assessment? Yeah, so it's an interesting question because, yes, there's synergy. There's definitely synergy of factors. And when we look at skin tears, um, if we if we look at what the main categories are, as I mentioned, that skin mobility and general health. Um, and there, there may be an argument for putting those into a validated um, risk assessment tool that perhaps scores risk or at least screens and scores. And that's something uh, we are looking at within the International Skin Tear Advisory Panel. But to, to keep things relatively simple, we do have a risk assessment pathway that is available that has been implemented in some areas as part of a wider prevention strategy. And it's really incorporating those three factors, skin mobility, general health, and underneath those are, there are the individual risk factors that link to those. But essentially, if an individual has one risk factor, so that could be dry skin, then they are at risk and they should then have preventative care. So um, that's where we are at the moment with risk assessment. Um, I think we're mindful that if we develop another risk assessment tool, it's something else that nurses will have to use and document. And so I think we, we're trying to move more towards risk assessment of skin that would include, say, skin tears, pressure ulcers, moisture associated skin damage, so that when you're assessing for those things, you're doing it as one not for individual, you sort of had taken this silo uh, approach to it, making it more of a synergy and uh, uh, joined up. So that's where I'd like to get to with that. Uh, but, you know, again, as a summary, there is a risk assessment pathway um, that listeners could refer to. Right. Can we just um, talk through the assessment process? Somebody has a skin tear. Um, how is that assessed? And again, thinking about tools, but I, I take your point about this highly practical approach and, um, you know, more and more tools, etc. But um, the assessment process for somebody who has um, a suspected or an actual skin tear. Yeah, so if somebody has, you know, sustained um, a skin tear, uh, then you would, as I said before, need to undertake first aid measures. So the important you know, thing is that skin tears, they're an acute wound, they bleed. And so initially it's about controlling the bleeding and associated with skin tears, you know, I mentioned polypharmacy and other risk factors and there are comorbidities. So you may have somebody who's on blood thinning medication and so the bleeding takes a while to stop, but it is about stopping bleeding. So whatever you would do normally for first aid measures, you know, apply pressure, 
uh, raise the limb if you can and wait for the bleeding to stop. And once the bleeding has stopped, it's about gentle cleansing because you need to cleanse the skin tear in order to be able to see the wound bed, but also to be able to see if there's any viable skin tear flap left. Um, and then once you've cleansed it, we would then reapproximate or re reposition the flap that is there. So you remember I said there was type one, type two and type three. With type one skin tears, if it's a line, a linear skin tear, often the edges come back together very easily. Uh, but if it's a type one flap, then you have to reposition that loose tissue back over that loose skin, back over the wound bed. Uh, and, and hopefully it will um, will retake. So type two is partial flap loss. So again, it's looking at how much of that flap is viable and repositioning it. And in a type three skin tear, there's no flap left at all. So you're left with an open wound. So as I said, it's first aid measures, cleansing, uh, reapproximating, and then classifying like we described before. Um, so that needs to be done, undertaken really carefully because um, you're already dealing with fragile tissue. And so you have to be very careful in handling the skin tear flap. And we just use normally uh, saline moistened wound swabs just to reposition uh, that skin tear flap down. Um, and then once that's done, then it's about guiding your, your dressing choice because you're looking at not only the wound bed, but the wound edge and also the surrounding skin or what we might call the peri-wound skin. Obviously documenting what you see and then choosing the appropriate treatment. So can we move on to treatment? Um, and you started, I suppose, looking at some of that with first aid measures. So I suppose that's debatable whether that's treatment, but it's part of the process. Mm. Um, what treatment options are available? And I presume that some of this may take quite some time to to heal, hence why you're emphasising prevention. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, there are, you know, there's a lot of generic uh, dressings available that are suitable for the management of skin tears. The key principle that we're looking for in choosing a dressing is that you don't want to any you don't want to introduce any new risks of trauma. So we want to avoid anything that's adhesive. I think that's kind of one of the key things to think about. But there are dressings that have got silicon, so silicon based dressings, lipido colloid mesh. Uh, there's types of dressings as well. Um, Non-adherent dressings. These are the uh, generic categories you might see listed, for example, in the British National Formulary or, or local protocols and pathways. Uh, but hydrogels, you can bring the edges of a type one skin tear back together with skin glue. There's also calcium alginates, which are helpful for hemostasis, so stopping bleeding. Uh, there's also fibres that gel, so they'll um, mop up any excess exudate and leakage. And there's also acrylic dressing. So any of those are suitable for use and are commonly used. Um, there is a guide that we included, um, I think, in the article, if not on our International Skin Tear Advisory website and in our recommendations, is actually a table that gives those dressings and which types of skin tears you would use them for. 
I would always say refer to your local guidelines or protocols and pathways as well, because I appreciate that uh, there may be a, a formulary in place. And so there may be limited choice of dressings. Uh, but I would be I would be fairly sure that one type of those dressings would be on that uh, formulary as well. And what we're working on are the principles of moist wound healing. So we know that wounds heal better in a moist environment. Uh, we know that they heal better if their further trauma is avoided. What we need to be able to do in, in individuals who develop a skin tear is manage exudate. So the fluid leaking from that is often quite a lot initially. And so it's, it's making sure the wound doesn't become too moist. So any dressing that will help to absorb excess moisture is important because that will also help the peri wound or the surrounding skin as well when choosing a product so that you can see there there's no specific one product you know we might choose um so a hydrogel would add moisture to a wound to debride it if there's dead you know necrotic sluffy tissue there so it's about undertaking a um, you know a relevant wound assessment actually then describing the wound tissue that you can see and then choosing the appropriate dressing based on that. But I say the key principle is avoiding um, adhesives and trauma. And perhaps I should also um, say what we shouldn't be using because we're quite clear on things that should not be used for skin tear management. And, and the bane of our lives are wound uh, and skin closure strips. And they're often first line treatment in accident emergency or emergency departments, and they should not be used. They may well have a role in other types of lacerations. So pre-tibial lacerations, for example, those deep lacerations on the shin that have a hematoma that are down to muscle or bone, then yes, they need some sort of wound closure, primary closure. But for skin tears, remember they don't extend through the subcutaneous tissue. Um, they can be deep, but not, uh, you know, not as deep as a pretibial laceration. So please avoid skin closure strips. Please avoid iodine based dressings because they dry the wound and the peri wound skin out. And dry skin is, is another risk factor for skin tears. And we would also avoid films and hydrocolloids um, because they do have an adhesive nature, even if they have got low adherent we would still want to avoid that really and gauze please don't use gauze either because that just sticks to the the wound and, and there's a risk of pulling the skin tear flap off if one is present so it's about thinking about the risk of trauma so whatever you put on has got to come off <laughs> at some point so think about that and how it's going to be removed and, and think about whether there's any risk of it sticking and not being easy to take off the wound it's actually really important, isn't it, to, as you say, to focus on what you should use, but um, to focus on what we shouldn't, because obviously mm -hmm. in our profession, it's dynamic practice and old habits die hard. And I'm sure people are using things that really shouldn't be used. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We've, um, I think you've threaded through the, the role of the nurse throughout. Is there anything else you wanted to, to let us know, Sam, in, in relation to the role of the nurse that perhaps we haven't touched on? Um, yeah, as you say, probably um, I've talked about these a number of things, but perhaps it'd be helpful just to summarise, I think, you know, what our role is. I think our role is in education, so educating each other, but also the wider multidisciplinary team. 
um, because I think everybody has a role in prevention of skin tears. You know, it's not just the nurse who's going to be looking after the patient and providing the care. You know, if a patient goes to the x-ray department, um, if, you know, they go and have maybe, I don't know, a mammogram, an x-ray, they go to theatre to have an operation, um, they go down to the physio department, that's then outside of the nurse's control. So education is really a key to raising awareness of the problem of skin tears and to reduce the risk. I mentioned data, so collecting prevalence data. Um, is that our role? Well, I think, you know, if we can have a role in quality improvement and in order to um, to inform quality improvement measures, um, we need data. We need to recognise what the problems are. And I keep saying problem, but it, it's kind of how we talk about it is there is a problem of skin tears. You know, what is the problem in your local area? How might you measure the prevalence? And then that will help you think about where resources need to be um, used to, to reduce risk. And I say that's not just about um, uh, the education, that is about the healthcare setting uh, and, the, and the wider uh, context. I think our role is also changing the view. I mean, I often hear, oh, it's just a skin tear. And it isn't just a skin tear. I think if you talk to any individual who sustained a skin tear, they're painful, they can be non-healing, uh, they can cause issues, you know, with um, leakage, um, infection. So I want to get away from that. So I think that's a role as well that we can have is, is changing that view. And I think finally, it's about being an advocate for individuals and thinking about how we can reduce the risk of skin tears, you know, ensuring that we follow evidence-based practice and question poor practice. I think those would be my key messages as uh, as our role. Well, thank you so much, Dama. We've talked a lot about resources. Um, so all resources connected to this episode can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast. So Sam, can I thank you? That's a lot of information, but it's so valuable and, and such an important area. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure. So yes, remember, it's not just a skin tear. OK, thanks very much. Thank you.